Recovery Elevator, episode 468. Because I knew, once I knew that, it was just the beginning and I could never unknow it. I knew alcohol was the problem. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I'm so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Amber. She's 41 years old from San Luis Obispo and took her last drink on May 6th, 2020. Great job, Amber. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe RE chat hosts. You guys do an incredible job. Listeners, today is going to be a good day. I know it. I can feel it. And if it's not, Well, you need the shit days to know the good days, so they are both equally important. I heard a great line about how most of us enter the alcohol-free world that I wanted to share with you. Here we go. First, it is an intention, then a behavior, then a practice, then a habit, then second nature, then it is simply who you are. And that's exactly how it looked like for me. Here's another good line for you. If you don't get into it, you don't have to get out of it. If you don't get into the bottle, you don't have to get out of the bottle. If you don't get into that argument, you don't have to get out of it. If you don't say something harmful, then you don't have to make an amends. I love this line, but we as humans, we get into a lot of shit. So if you do get into something, be kind to yourself as this is also how we learn. I got another good meme for you. This is from Jill over at the Sober Powered Podcast. It says, maybe you're not bored because you're not drinking, but because you haven't figured out who you are without alcohol. Self-discovery or connecting with the self is the most important journey we embark upon in this lifetime. A journey that is impossible once alcohol gets in the way. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. The most important relationship that you have is a relationship with yourself. I love the quote that says, you can't hate yourself into self-love. For me, healing the relationship that I have with myself has been one of the biggest benefits of being in recovery. Thanks to therapy, I have been able to grow my confidence, develop tools that allow me to focus on self-acceptance, and truly improve the relationship I have with myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com Elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Elevator. Okay, let's get started. The other day, someone asked me what a typical day in my sobriety, recovery, or my alcohol-free life looks like. So today, I want to share it with you, and maybe you can pull something that will help you along the way. Now, this upcoming September, if Jupiter finds itself in retrograde with Pizza Hut, I will have 10 years alcohol-free. I'm not there yet, but if I continue to show up and do the work, there is a good chance this is going to go down. All right. So here is a typical day for me. My alarm goes off at 4 a.m. and I immediately begin 30 minutes of clarity breath work, followed by an hour of transcendental meditation, then 150 push-ups. After that, I hike to the nearest mountaintop for sunrise and gratitude journaling. Then I make a salad with leaves, roots, and nuts that I collect along the way. And then I, 
I'm just kidding, guys. I'll stop right there. That is not my morning routine. Not even close. Now, I did do Hal Elrod's Miracle Morning, my second year of sobriety. And at the end, I learned that waking up at 5 a.m. wasn't for me. Okay, here's my typical day. My body wakes me up about 30 minutes before light crests over the horizon. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I marinate in a light haze of anxiety for about 20 to 30 minutes, but once I put my feet on the floor, it almost always goes away. I drink at least 20 ounces of water first thing in the morning. I try to add lemon or lime juice if I can. Now, a lot of daytime fatigue is dehydration, so I try to hydrate myself early in the day. I do not take a daily supplement or any supplements as I'm a believer that if I'm eating a healthy diet, I'm going to meet those dietary needs. Then I do either 10 to 15 minutes of breath work, stretching, or both. I then read for 10 to 15 minutes, and right now I'm reading A Course in Miracles. Did I mention coffee? I have about two cups of coffee in the morning. When I have my Nespresso machine, it's one normal pod followed by a half-caffeinated pod after that. When I'm in Costa Rica, it's two cups of Nescafe instant coffee. I'm not picky. Now, in this first hour of my day, I make a point to take deep conscious breaths and hello, step 11. I try to connect with the universe and ask for guidance before my day gets started. I ask the universe to show me the way and to show me the light. Now, sometimes I feel this request is full on denied, but if I'm really to be honest, everything has worked out fine up until this moment, so everything I have asked for has been provided. Now, daily, and remember this quote from earlier, first it's an intention, then a behavior, then a practice, then a habit, then second nature, then it's simply who you are. So daily, I reflect on what I'm thankful for. What's up, gratitude? Sometimes this is a more formal journal entry, Other days, I'll sit outside in a comfortable position, orientate myself towards the sun, close my eyes, and give thanks for about one to two minutes. Now, this practice of gratitude is almost a non-negotiable for me. I do my absolute best to do this daily, even on the shit days. And speaking of shit days, we all have them, including myself. I try my best to embrace the suck, to be as present as possible and lean on the breath. I also know the foundation for my sobriety is mostly built on the shit days because after all, staying sober is a hell of a lot easier on the good days. When we make it through a challenging day sober, those are the days we begin to make new neurological pathways in the brain or new ways of living because neurons that fire together eventually end up wiring together. Okay, daily, I have to spend time in nature because it's my most powerful medicine. Ideally, I'm in nature with my ukulele, or I go on a walk with my dog and wife. Daily, I try to strengthen my creativity muscle. I work on a new song, a new strumming technique, or I drum. Daily, I recognize when I get squirrely, it's most likely tied to halt, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. I'll take a nap or eat a cheeseburger. Let's talk connection. Daily, I have to connect with myself, nature, and other human beings, especially my fellow sober peeps. Now, I go to about four meetings or chats per week. I try to host one to two chats in Cafe RE, and then I go to one to two in-person AA meetings, which I view as a great way to build fellowship with others who don't drink. I currently do not have a sponsor, but in the past decade, I've had three. Now, you might be saying to yourself, four meetings, yikes, that sounds like a lot. Well, it's different for everyone. Some people go to one to two meetings daily. Some go to one meeting per month. 
But the one commonality I've heard from people who've had significant amount of time of sobriety and then went back out drinking is that they stopped going to meetings or connecting. So I'm going to keep going. Daily, I try to remember the opposite of addiction is connection. And for me, that doesn't have to be one-on-one human interaction. I love dogs, sunsets, stars, and third eye blind. Let's talk perceptions. I try to remember that all emotions are created equal, even though some of them are like moldy potatoes. I remember that I need to know the sad to know happy and resentments to know freedom. Another way I try to view life events is that everything is happening for me and that nothing has ever happened to me. Those who are always saying, guess what happened to me today are still in the victim mentality. Let's talk joy. I try to do something daily that I enjoy. Usually at night, I put my headlamp on and see what type of animals or critters I can see. I didn't quit drinking to not go on adventures. Daily, and this is a hard one, I try to remind myself the present moment is all that matters and the past is gone, long gone. The past does not matter unless I need to make a better informed decision for the future. It's the breath that grounds me to this moment. Now, I do find myself getting caught up in the constant stream of thought, but more and more, I'm able to break that thought stream and come back to this moment. Now, I do shouldn't myself to death at times, and we all do. This is the voice that's saying, ah, we should do more of that and less of this. We all have that inner narrative, but it gets dangerous when shame gets attached to that. But again, this voice is normal. There was an apostle or disciple named St. Paul from Tarsus, and he was quoted saying, If only I did more of the things I should be doing and less of the things I shouldn't be doing. I added this last part to show you that we all have this voice and it's normal. How do I deal with the mind that has 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day and science shows that most of them are wrong? I do my absolute best not to get detached to any of the thoughts. My inner Bruno voice is still quite harsh at times, but I try to meet that voice with self-compassion. So that is how I'm doing my alcohol-free life today, which tomorrow will be different. But this is what's working right now. I hope you enjoyed this intro. I hope you can pull something from it that helps you. And thank you so much for listening. Now, before we hear from Go Brewing, I want to mention again that we have a limited edition non-alcoholic Pilsner with the RE logo front and center on the can with Go Brewing. Use the promo code ELEVATOR at checkout for 15% off and free two-day shipping on orders of $40 or more. Link is in the show notes. Thank you, Robin. And now let's hear a word from my favorite NA brewing company, Go Brewing. Go Brewing is redefining the non-alcoholic craft beer landscape, and we are thrilled to have them as a partner on our podcast. Since launching in 2023, they've become a standout, fulfilling almost 25,000 orders across the U.S. and creating an impressive array of 23 distinct beer varieties. Their expertise hasn't gone unnoticed. Go Brewing won the gold and silver medals from the prestigious Best of Craft Beer Awards for their innovative brews, suspended in a sunbeam pills, and Sunshine State Tropical Hazy IPA. Innovation is at their core and they are pushing the boundaries of beer crafting. This includes pioneering gluten-free beer, like their wellness-infused Freedom Chill, enriched with ashwagandha and L-theanine. Their latest sensation? A double IPA that's a hit with beer enthusiasts, brimming with mosaic, citra, and Simcoe hops. And here's something special for our listeners. Save 15% off with the code ELEVATOR, plus free two-day shipping on orders of three six-packs or more. 
That's right. Order it today and in two days it will be at your doorstep. Go Brewing is more than a brand for many. Their beer is a tool for people who want the experience without the alcohol. If you missed it, you can save 15% off with the code ELEVATOR, plus free two-day shipping on orders of three six-packs or more. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Amber to the show. Amber, how are you doing today? Hey, Chris, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here with you. Well, thank you for agreeing to come on and share your story. I appreciate it. Can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Yes, over three and a half years. My sobriety date is May 26, 2020. Nice job. Over three and a half years. How are you feeling? I'm in the best shape of my life. I literally feel amazing. Like I've just been given a second chance at life. I love to hear that. Uh, What a blessing, right? Yes, that's a blessing. The only thing I wish I had done it 20 years ago. Right. I think think you're in good company with that train of thought. There's a lot of us who are like, what the hell was I doing all this time? (laughs) Uh, Before we get into your story, Amber, can you let listeners know a little bit about yourself, Uh, where you're from, what you do for a living, any family you'd like to talk about, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Okay, so I'm 41 years old. I've taught second grade for 10 years. I'm also a running coach and a sobriety coach. I have two little boys. They're six and seven. I have a partner in crime named Vinny who runs with me and coaches with me. Um, We live in San Luis Obispo, California. And for fun, we love to go hiking, mountain biking, running, swimming, all the stuff outside. Nice. Great part of the country to be able to enjoy some of those outdoor activities. And with a couple young boys, I can't imagine that (laughs) you're shy of energy in your household to do those things. (laughs) Thank God I don't drink anymore because I was really struggling to keep up with them in their early years. And now they can't keep up with me. I'm not kidding. That's right. Put them boys to shame. Listen, fellas. Mama's going to run circles around you. Three miles. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Amber, let's do what we came here to do and talk about your journey with alcohol and into recovery. Let's pick a whatever you think is an appropriate jumping off point, maybe some early exposures or, or first experiences, and then we'll just walk forward together. All right. Well, I grew up in a happy house with a brother and two loving parents. Um, I always really struggled with shyness, social anxiety. I was always really quiet and timid. I kind of like to hide out in the corner, not be seen and not be heard. And that worked fine for me because my mom and my brother did all the talking. So I was just always like, oh, don't look at me. Don't talk to me. And so as I got older um, in high school, I was introduced to alcohol for the first time. And I was like, wow, this is what I was missing. This, you know, this helps me get out of my shell. This helps me feel like I fit in, feel like I'm cool, part of the crowd. Um, I'm not nervous. I'm not shy anymore. I'm much more outgoing. And so I found it in freshman year of high school and I was hooked. Yeah. You, one thing that we've talked a lot about on the show is that we use alcohol as a tool. And I think for a lot of us, we find that that purpose in it, right? It, it, does, it does something for us. And uh, yeah. I, I relate to that kind of overcoming some of that shyness and feeling maybe a little more comfortable in ourselves from that first, first exposure or first time that you tried it, did you, 
was it something that you that you craved right away or you just happened to be like just noticed that it was a good experience good quote unquote you know i kind of had to force myself to drink it because i was drinking beer and i'm like ew gross but everybody's drinking it so i'll drink it um but i was on the softball team i was always an athlete and all the athletes were drinking and it's just what we did on the weekend so I didn't love it, but I did love how it made me feel. It made me feel alive, invincible, all the stuff that I'm sure listeners can relate to. And I just, I just went with it. It's what everybody was doing. And so it quickly became a every weekend habit for me. Yeah. Kind of an easy, an easy ritual to dive into. Yeah. And unfortunately for me, when I went to college, my drinking only escalated. So I was a big time softball player and I worked really hard to get a full ride softball scholarship to Baylor University. And so I'm like, okay, I made it. I got my college scholarship, um, moved to Texas and did the D1 softball thing. And it was hard. It was hard to keep it all together at that point because we were practicing in the morning and at night and we had study hall. And I found myself going from drinking every weekend to drinking every night. And I gained a lot of weight. I was not studying. My grades were terrible. And I found myself riding the bench when I should have been one of the star players on the team. Um, I was one of the top recruits, but suddenly I couldn't hit. I couldn't field. I couldn't focus. And my partying just skyrocketed out of control. And my athletic performance just went down. And my coach said, girl, what's wrong with you? You are not the athlete we recruited. I didn't, he didn't know it was alcohol. I had a suspicion that it was alcohol, but I was having so much fun with the fraternities and all the parties that I didn't want to let it go. I thought, you know, it's probably fine, whatever. Everybody else is doing it. But at the end of the season, he cut me from the team and I lost everything I had worked for my entire life. That's all that I had was softball. I thought I was going to go to the Olympics. I thought I was going to be a coach. And then all of a sudden, just like that, it all ended. Wow. That's tough, Amber. Devastating. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about consequences. That's one of the questions I like to ask people is, you know, were there any consequences at this stage? And, and yeah, you just laid those out pretty nicely. It sounds (laughs) significant for any stage in life, but certainly as a, as a, as a young adult, as you're trying to find your place in this world and, and find your foothold to have to have it taken from you. I'm curious, uh, in retrospect, or, or maybe even during the time, you know, like I said, you just, you just described the consequences. What do you think alcohol was giving you at that point, at that stage? What was kind of the motivation for even being able to see what it's doing, some of the negative impacts? Do you think you know what, what the draw was, what the uh, appeal to it was? No, for me, I felt it, it was just so fun and exciting. I was in a new place. It was college. Everybody was just partying really hard. So it was fun. I'm not going to lie. And it, it was an escape for me. Um, I had a lot going on with studies, with practicing twice a day. I had a lot of pressure, um, to perform, to succeed. So that was my relief. That was my escape and my way to just let go. Yeah. I, I relate to that. And then with the shyness too, like to be, I mean, to go across the, the country in a completely new environment. And again, like, a, you know, like I mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a tool. And I think when we see what it, what it's doing for us, that helps us figure out some of the things that we can do to, to maybe replace it uh, down the road. 
Yeah, I'm not sure where I would have fit in socially in college without alcohol. I really clung to it and it seemed to just fit me so well. It gave me confidence and felt, I'm like, yeah, I fit in. This is where I belong. This is what we do. Yep, that checks out. So after getting cut, yeah, let's go. Let's go forward from there. How did things play out? All right. So I left Texas and I moved to San Diego. And I finished college there while working as a waitress in the restaurant. Um, my drinking increased, if you can believe it. It increased even further. And then a couple of years later, I got a DUI. And that was embarrassing and shameful and crashed the car. And it was really bad for a little while. I wish I could say that was my rock bottom, but it wasn't. It was just kind of an eye opener. Like, okay, you better not drink and drive so much. Um and then I just continued to drink. And after losing my softball scholarship and my my life purpose, what I thought, I was just totally lost, which made me drink even more. So in all through my 20s, drinking, working as a waitress, um, I decided to go into the teaching program. So I got my teaching credential. Somebody suggested that that would be a good idea. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. So um, it was just kind of like, what am I going to do next? That's the next best thing. So I became a teacher. Teaching is a very stressful job and a lot of personalities with the kids and the parents and the staff. And um, I relied on alcohol after the end of the day. I went straight home and I started drinking. Yeah, my uh, my wife has been a teacher for three years. So uh-huh. I know, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic and a, and a thankless job. That's right. But you know, you said it, there's, when you talk about your move to first move to San Diego, we hit these points in our life where we think like, this is it, this is it, this is it. But once again, once again, progression got a foothold and your drinking increased. You mentioned your DUI. And I thought, I think that's an interesting response that you gave that maybe I should just not drink and drive so much anymore. And I yeah. think, that's just, that's something I think to all of us is like, maybe I don't need to stop this, but I should really, I should really slow it down. Plastic denial, right? I'm like, okay, obviously I have a problem with alcohol, but I'm not going to consider letting it go. I'm just going to change my behavior. I've got to be safe about it. Maybe I should not drink so much. Maybe I should get a taxi instead of driving recklessly around town. Yeah, that constant bargaining that we do with ourselves, right? Rather than the idea of maybe I should eliminate this element, you know, this, this part of my life. No, like, why would, why would I do that? No, but control, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's hard because everybody I was around, I was in my late twenties. Everybody was partying. It was so common. I didn't know anybody who didn't drink. So the thought never even occurred to me. It's everywhere in the media and all around. So I just didn't know that I had a, a choice to not drink. Yeah, that, I think that's a really good point. And it's such a part of society. And I mean, we've talked about this endlessly uh, in like on this show and in the recovery in recovery spaces in general. But it's such a huge part of society that when we start to encounter these problems as individuals, it's like, well, it's not like, it's not the alcohol. That's the problem. It's, it's me. And maybe I'm just doing it wrong. And, you know, we search the ends of the earth to try to find ways to handle it responsibly, to still be able to enjoy it. But yeah, we just beat the shit out of ourselves in the process. Right. 
Oh, we sure do. Yeah. I damn near hit rock bottom. Um, things just got worse for me. I was drinking more than two bottles of wine every night. Um, and then I think where the turning point was for me, I got married and I had kids. I had two kids back to back. And at that time in my life, I had so much on my plate. I was a teacher, a wife, a mom, a homemaker. I had all of these things that I I had to do. I was responsible for two tiny humans. And that right there was the catalyst for change for me because I looked at them and I love my kids as much as all parents do. And they're the most important thing to me. And I knew I wasn't doing them any justice by drinking so much. I was hungover all the time. I was exhausted. Um, when they would cry in the middle of the night, I would struggle to get out of bed and, and worry that I wasn't going to hear them cry or call for me, uh, worry that I wasn't going to be able to drive them to McDonald's for dinner or to look at Christmas lights and just always living in fear and um, resentment and anger towards myself. And it just became enough is enough. You got to do better for your kids. I think that's a, a real powerful observation. And uh, I was just having, a, I had a conversation with a friend just last week and we, I think it's important that we do recovery for ourselves, but also in the beginning, we need to just grab whatever, whatever it is we can, that's going to push us into that recovery space or push us into doing the work. And, and if that's got to be our kids or a partner or a job or a relationship, I think whatever that motivation is, that's going to help get us started. I a hundred percent say, you know, like, go for it eventually. Mm-hmm figure out how to do it for you. But yeah, kids and family and, and looking at them and seeing the what we're giving to them versus what they deserve is uh, that can be a really powerful moment. Yeah, I think I was just sick of living in the pain. I, I was I was really suffering. I was doing it to myself. I was hungover and exhausted. And I, I was feeling immense amounts of pain, just mental anguish, physical pain just overall terrible. And I'm like, you know what? I think it's alcohol. That was the first time that I thought it's got to be the booze because you know what, Amber, your life is hard and getting harder. Everything is going to come crashing down. And the one thing that's making it worse is the wine. It's your wine habit. And I, I realized that and I was like, damn it. Now I'm going to have to change because I knew once I knew that, it was just the beginning and I could never unknow it. I knew alcohol was the problem. Yeah. Were there any specific moments that stand out to you where you had this idea of who you were going to be as a, as a, as a mother, as a spouse, as a, a woman in this world and alcohol kind of robbed you of, of what that experience should have been? Well, we would have to back up a few years. Um, I've gone through many tough moments, like I'm sure everybody has. But one of the hardest things for me was um, getting separated and then divorced. I just found myself at the very beginning of my sobriety journey, wanting to stop drinking, wanting to improve my health and my life. And there were a couple of things that were just not really diving with what I what I felt like was my true purpose. Um, my teaching job was stressing me out to the max, but so was my relationship. And unfortunately for me, that relationship started at a bar. So we met over drink, the relationship progressed over drink. And that's all that we had together to to keep us together was the booze. And then we had a couple of kids quick. And everybody who's a parent knows that having kids changes your marriage 
And ours really suffered. We started to fight a lot. We realized that we didn't really have that much in common now that we're not going bar hopping and going wine tasting. And and now we've got these two tiny kids to raise and we're just not, we're just not doing well. And so I found myself um, kind of in a panic and a rock bottom of, I is this what I want the next 30 years to be? Stuck in a marriage where there's no love anymore, no respect and, you know, trapped in an unfulfilling career and just, you know, doing all of these things that I thought were going to make me happy. You know, I had the family, the kids, the house, the job. I had everything that people should, you know, quote unquote, should get, should have, want. And none of them were making me happy. So I just realized I've got to stop and figure out what I really want my life to be because I'm in my late 30s. And if I don't want to be miserable for the rest of my life, I've got to ask myself, honestly, where are you going? Where are you headed a year from now, five years from now? What do you want your life to look like? You're bringing your kids with you and you're probably going to be a single mom. So let's figure this out fast. You know, you bring up a a really, it's, it's scary, right? Let's just call it what it is. Like recovery can, can be scary. It's also beautiful. And I know that we're going to get to that part of your story, but it's, it's tough too. It's really challenging because alcohol, again, like not to beat a dead horse here, but alcohol has helped us to to deal with things, right? And when we stop using it, when we remove that coping mechanism, like sometimes we have to face, like look at those hard things about our life. Like, am I, is this a, a relationship that's that's healthy and and propelling me forward and something that I want to pursue? Is this, is this career? Is this life? Or are all these things that are, that are my day to day? Is this what I want? And it's, it can be really challenging to face that. Yeah, for sure. It's it's really hard to feel those negative, uncomfortable feelings, like to feel fear, to feel loneliness, to feel worry. You know, we don't want to feel those. And so you're right. We're used to numbing them out. We're used to escaping and pretending and lying to ourselves. And when we stop drinking, we, we can't do that anymore. And it's like, okay. Face your fears. Step up, friends. We're doing it. Now what are you going to do? Yeah. So what did you do? You're, you've got, you know, you've got, you've got three and a half years of sobriety time. And at this stage, you're, you've done this evaluation and you're like, shit, maybe this isn't these, the way things are today is not sustainable or it's not what I want. And so how did you break through and get to this, uh, the positive life? Okay, so the first thing I did was I filed for divorce because I was in a super unhealthy, toxic, dangerous relationship. And I was clinging on to it for two years thinking, I need I need him. He provides financially. I, I need this relationship. So I built up the courage to let that go. And I filed for divorce. And I said, hey, even if I have to move in with my parents, I don't care. It's going to be better than this. And um, I figured out a way. And then I I learned how to meditate is what I did. I, I'm like, okay, how am I going to figure this out? I have no idea what I'm doing. People talk about meditation and the benefits of that. So I'm going to give that a try. So I meditated for five minutes a day. And I started getting some really good ideas. But the number one thing that I did, Chris, that made the most difference for me was I started running. And I've always been a runner. 
But when I got sober, I needed something to fill the void. I had all this extra time. I had all this extra energy. I had these emotions that I needed to get out that were stuck inside me. And so I went running. It was the best outlet for me to channel all of my emotions into and relieve the stress, relieve the anxiety. And it's another form of meditation for me. Um, the, the ideas start to come in. I started getting physically strong, mentally strong, and I just started getting back in shape. You know, you had mentioned earlier that, you know, athletics and sports has been, had been a big part of your life at, at this stage, were you, were you still, were you a super active person or getting into running? Was that, was that new or was an extension of, uh, of a habit that already existed? I started running in high school, but as my drinking progressed, the the running was next to nothing for many years. So I had two kids under two at this time, and I was doing a little bit of running, but not a lot. I was just kind of doing the bare minimum to satisfy my physical need to exercise. I'm one of those people who have to do it, but I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. I was doing it to cure a hangover, to sweat it out, to burn the calories from all the pizza and Taco Bell I ate last night. So I'm like, okay, look, you love running. You love sports. Like, go back to the basics. And so I was basically starting over. I signed up for a marathon and I trained for that thing every single day for four months. And that's when I had my first and longest stint of sobriety. I was sober for three months and I ran that marathon and then I celebrated with a beer <laughs> and I'm like, no, here we go again. I was still learning the lessons. Yeah. What sort of challenges did you face as you, you, you know, you're on this new, this new path, you're going at it. You're now without your, without your spouse, you're leaning into the meditation, which I think is a, a beautiful and amazing thing you're recreating this habit of running. How did these things play into your life? Cause you know, again, like we mentioned earlier, as we're starting to piece things back together and, and find our path with the life that we truly want, we're, we're met with, we're met with challenges and, and roadblocks and obstacles and, and that's okay. That's part of it. How did these, these new tools that you're using play into finding that path and alignment with, with where you're wanting to go in your life? So I took my sobriety journey as a fresh, start. I'm like, I literally don't even know who I am anymore. I don't know what I like. I don't know who I like. So let's just let's just start over from scratch and figure this out. And so in meditation, I would sit and just let the thoughts come in. And I would ask myself questions. Um, you know, where do you want to be in six months? Where do you want to be in a year? And I would do the same thing when I was running. So basically what I did, I set a few small goals that I knew I could reach. And I just devoted all of my time to them. So I always had a, a race set on the calendar. And I was training, I was trying to lose weight, because after having kids and drinking for so many years, I was 50 pounds overweight. So that was super important to me. I wanted to lose the weight and get back into shape so that I could be confident again, so that I could have the energy again. And I know that being physically fit transfers into being mentally fit. Okay. If you feel strong, your body feels strong. It feels good. You're able to move around. You can play with your kids. 
you can, you know, do CrossFit or run a 5k and all of that stuff, it makes you physically strong, but it transfers into mental toughness because if you can do this physically hard thing, then you can do this life hard thing, right? It's like, okay, my next challenge is going to be a marathon and I'm going to train for that. It's going to make me stronger. And while I'm training for this race, things are going to come up. Like, you know, there's a problem with one of the kids. There's a problem at work, but I'm working on getting tough. And this physical training that I'm doing is going to help me with my job. It's going to help me with my relationships because when you work out and exercise a lot, it brings on mental clarity and it, it just, it's this outlet. It's this beautiful outlet where you can release all the bad stuff and make room for all the good stuff. Yeah. I think there absolutely is a, a correlation between our, uh, our physical wellness and our mental wellness. And I think that we could also even tie in uh, spiritual well-being into, into that as well. And to do, to do things to, to tend, I don't know, to tend that garden is this, maybe that's way too cliche. Uh, anyway, but to, to, t- all right, I'm just, I'm just going to go for it to tend those gardens of spiritual, I know what you mean. Yep. Uh, mental and, and physical wellness. It helps them to work in harmony with each other. And, and they all carry their own weight. Well said in, okay. So in these early days, you've got some goals. And I think, uh, I think that's really, really important is is to have those goals and have things that we're working towards. Uh, I'm curious if you had any other sort of like traditional recovery support, whether, you know, 12 step community, like anything like that, Were, were you doing any of those sorts of things, uh, for your recovery? I did. So I did a few things. And you mentioned spirituality. The first thing I did was I dropped to my knees. I admitted that I needed help. I had no way to do it. And I just said, God, please help me. I've tried to do it on my own. I I can't do it. I can't figure it out. I need help. So I said, God, universe, whoever's listening, please help me. And I just said, I am desperate for some relief. And when you ask, you will receive um, no matter what you believe in all different religions um, the universe the angels whatever just ask and you will you'll notice that doors will start opening and one of the first doors that opened for me was celebrate recovery and so I did work the 12 steps celebrate recovery is like the church version of AA so I started going to in-person meetings which I love celebrate recovery it's highly recommended Um, The music is beautiful. The people are amazing and supportive. You'll make friends there, in-person friends there. And afterwards is the group. So I did celebrate recovery and that was my in-person recovery meeting. And I also found an online community um, called One Year No Beer. I love that group. I They have a book. It's a 28-day alcohol-free challenge. So, you know, I just, I started learning. Everything I, I could learn about recovery, I read the book. I listened to the podcast, including um, Recovery Elevator. And I, I made as many sober friends as I could because community is so, so important. So I made sure to have my online friends, my in-person friends. And I was always listening to something, sobriety, reading something. Um, music was very healing for me. Meditation, journaling. I'm an all or nothing person and I just went all in because it was that important to me and I was ready. Yeah. I think when it comes to recovery, I think it's okay. But for for what it's worth, that's, 
the Chris Hoyan endorsement is like, yeah, go all in for, mm -hmm. I mean, for what we get out of it. Absolutely. Big fan of Celebrate Recovery uh, as well. Uh, I really loved it. We had a, we had a group that we attended for probably three years and it was, it was great. And I think, you know, you said it as well, that connection with spirituality and uh, again, uh, you and I, it sounds like share of faith, but even if that's, even if that's not yours, uh, I just want to encourage listeners. Like it's just a connect, like a connection with source. I think that's attainable by anybody, whether or not you, you share our faith or not. It's, I, I believe that, that, that it's out there for you. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. So you have, you also, you know, you also mentioned community and again, like you're just checking a lot of boxes of like, yes, this is what I think, you know, in my experience, this is what worked for me. This is what I think people should do in recoveries. Finding those support systems, finding those outlets, those healthy ways to to process things prior to engaging in, in these things. To to rewind just a little bit, you've got you've got your your twelve step support. You've got some uh, some online friendships and support. You've got uh, these goals, the, these running running and physical fitness goals. If we go back to maybe towards the end of your drinking, the the before and after, how did you feel about life? prior and then once you got involved into these things and started working towards these things in your life that's a good question when i was still drinking and trying to stop i was white knuckling it without any tools or resources or community i i didn't tell anybody what i was doing i just kind of quietly stopped drinking and took alcohol out of my house i didn't tell anybody say hey i need help or I'm not drinking anymore. So I was very quiet and secretive about it because I was feeling so embarrassed and ashamed. Um, I really did feel like I was the only one who was suffering from alcoholism. And so I just didn't say anything about it. And I thought, you know what? I'm a smart, capable person. Um, I can figure this out. And so I just didn't really make any changes other than stopping drinking. Um, I still went to the same places, hung out with the same people, did the same thing, yet expected different results. And I eventually realized this isn't working. I got to try something else. And thankfully, you know, I found Celebrate Recovery. I got a sponsor. I started doing the work. And people are going to be so important. People come into your life who say things to you that really click, that make all the difference. And so just try to make a friend in person and online and, and lean on that person. Um, and now, you know, once I found my community in Celebrate Recovery and on Facebook, I was like, okay, this is cool. I, I can't believe how many people out there are in recovery who are getting sober. And I didn't feel alone anymore. I, the embarrassment left me. I started to feel like, wow, I, this is a group of people who I totally get and who get me. These people have suffered traumas just like me. These people have struggled with addiction unknowingly for years, just like me. And it's like, wow, I can't believe there's so many other people out there just <laughs> like me. It's crazy. Like once we get into it, right. But the fear that we have before is, what if I go to this community, you know, what, what, whatever version of it is like, oh shit, well, like, what are these people going to be like? And what are they going to say? And what are they going to think of me? And like, once we get into it, like in retrospect, it's like, that's, they're all just a different version, a different version of me. I mean, they have their experiences, but like, we're all doing the same thing. Yeah. It's so scary to walk into your first meeting, your first AA meeting, your first CR meeting. It is terrifying. 
just muster up all the courage you can get and just go, you will not regret it. Yeah. It's, it really, this is a generalization, but like, it really does kind of feel like home mm-hmm. because people, 100%. people just get it on a, on a level that, that, that we just don't find in the, in the regular world. A hundred percent. Amber, I want to talk uh, a little bit more about like what the last three and a half years have been and how you've been able to show up, you know, moving forward further along in your journey, like how you've been able to show up for yourself, how you've been able to show up for the people that you care about, just kind of what that, what that looks like for you today. All right. Well, life is good. It is so good. I kept running and I kept meditating and now I show up as the best version of me for my kids. I left my teaching job and I started my own business, which is something that I only had the insight to do in sobriety. So now I coach people to run and to stay sober. Um, so community is so important. Like we talked about, I, I felt like there's got to be other people out there who love to run like me. So I started my own sober running group. It's called Recovery Roadrunners. And there's a couple thousand people in the group. Um, we do all sorts of fun stuff together. We meet online for Zoom. We meet in person to go running. We set up booths at races to um, engage the community, invite them in to Recovery Roadrunners. We give people resources to help them stay sober, to help them get back into shape after years of drinking. And it's just a very inspiring, educational, fun place to be, um, to hang out. And so... I'm working on living my best life. And to me, that looks like running a race every month, doing all these fun things outside with my kids. We love to go hiking, mountain biking, running to the beach. We love to play sports. We have fun. Um, we're just living life uninhibited by the constraints of alcohol and hangovers. I love that. How have you seen the power of sharing your experience, your story, your strength, just like the knowledge that you have for physical, mental, spiritual wellness. How have you seen that play out? Being able to share that with with the people in your community and the people that you work with. I think storytelling is the best form of um, knowledge and um, resources. And it's so it's the best way to engage people in a real life way. Um, so when I tell my story, I'm like, look, I lost 50 pounds. And I ran a 50 mile race last year. I never would have considered doing that when I was still drinking. Um, you know, I used to drive everywhere drunk and now I don't have to worry about taking my kids to McDonald's, um, at night. You know, I can drive at night. It's a beautiful thing. We can drive around and look at Christmas lights. So just by being vulnerable with people, opening up and saying, yeah, I had a problem. This is how I solved it. You can do it too. Just by saying, yeah, you know, like I, I couldn't run down the block and now I'm training for a hundred mile race. People are going to hear that and be like, what? But you can do it too. Anybody can do it. It just starts with one mile at a time. And then suddenly it's like, well, look at me. I ran a 5k. Now I think I'm going to go run a 10k. If running's not your jam, it's like, Hey, do you like to hike? Do you like to mountain bike? Do you like to surf or stand up paddleboard? Like find something physical to do and go do it. Like whatever you used to like to do as a kid, maybe it was basketball or baseball or football, go do that. Get outside and move your body. It's going to give you something to do rather than sitting around wishing you were drinking 
Um, and it's going to be fun. You know, it's the joys that we used to have in childhood. We probably still love doing those things, even if we haven't done them in a long time. So just I love talking to people and listening to people. Um, I share my story just hoping that somebody will hear something that helps them stay sober or inspires them to get back in faith. I love that idea, uh, Amber, of embracing kind of that inner child. I think a lot of recovery work is healing that inner child, but also embracing that that curiosity and that love and and finding a way to make it something that you enjoy. It's not yeah, not, a, it, not not a punishment, but a positive. Yeah, it's it's got to be something that you enjoy, um, like a favorite sport or, you know, a lot of people like dancing or riding bikes. Um, it doesn't have to be physically demanding and just like sprinting or running a marathon. No, it just has to be something that you enjoy doing because then you're going to keep doing it. Um, but having something to do like a Spartan race, a 5K, I don't know, a, swim, a triathlon, um, something like that. Give yourself a goal, sign up for something and watch yourself totally transform into a new person. Suddenly you're this person who works out every day and, you know, suddenly you're waking up early and you're losing weight and you're feeling so energetic and awesome. And then you're going to be like me where my kids are like, mom, do we have to go? Like, why do we have to go so far? (laughs) Oh, I love it. Uh, This episode is going to air in February, early, early February of 2024. And chances are we're going to have a lot of, uh, a lot of new listeners and even our old listeners who are, are starting, starting the new year, starting, starting, trying to start a new life. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, we've, we've all seen it and we've, I think, I think a lot of us have experienced it, right. Where that January is full of motivation. We're full of piss and vinegar. We're ready to go. And then it's like, well, you know, I don't know, maybe not, maybe I don't, maybe I don't (laughs) need to do this or things slow down. So being that this will air the beginning of February, before we get to the rapid fire, I just like, what would you say if, if we have any listeners right now who have, have maybe tried to make a change to, to get into wellness or to, or to try to get their sobriety to stick a little bit further. What would you say to anybody who, who might be experiencing some of those setbacks or, or might be kind of like falling back on, on what the, their goals may have been? Any words of wisdom for, for that group of people? Yeah, I know it's tough. The news, New Year's resolutions, they fail. And then you feel like, oh, I can't do it, whatever. But I would challenge you to create a vision for your life. Think bigger. Think a lot bigger. Okay. Where do you want to be in five years? Do you still want to be stuck trying to quit drinking, doing the hard part again and again, another day one? Or do you want to be like four, five years sober, right? Where do you want to be in five years or 10 years or 20 years? Think huge. Think big goals. Um, you know, advancing your career, being in the best shape of your life. Give yourself this vision, write it down and And just meditate on it, you know, manifest it into reality. You got to get really clear on what you want and commit to taking action now because little steps will compound over time. And suddenly you're like, oh, look at me. I ran a 5K. Now I'm going to sign up for a 10K or wow, I lost a couple pounds. I'm starting to look good, starting to feel better. This is amazing. Um, So find a couple of buddies who are on the same path as you. And start a little group of accountability and 
set a big goal and never forget it. You can even do a vision board and put it on your wall. I love to do a vision board for New Year's and put everything that you've always wanted on that vision board and look at it every day. I still have my original sobriety vision board and it's full of runners and the picture of health, you know, happy family, success, all of the stuff that I ever wanted is on my vision board. And it was in my bedroom where I could look at it multiple times a day. So create just the biggest vision for yourself and never let it go. Oh, I love that, Amber. So good. What really just stuck into my head is like, do I want to be stuck at repeating that hard part? And we like, we don't have to stay there. Um, and kind of taking that macro view, what is this all leading towards? I think that's beautiful. Thank you for for some free coaching advice for <laughs> us and the listeners. I appreciate it. Uh, with that, Amber, we are at the rapid fire round in 30 to 60 seconds. I'm going to ask you to answer a few questions. Sister, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? That I would never have any fun again. Total lie. I have way more fun now. Amen to that. Uh, what is a positive that you did not expect in a life without alcohol? I didn't expect to have so much fun. And now I'm repeating myself, but I didn't expect it to be fun. I thought it was going to be boring. But now I find myself laughing like belly laughs and enjoying things I used to do way back when and just having the time of my life. Awesome. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? Coffee and then more coffee. <laughs> Good choice. Uh, what is your favorite resource in recovery? This could be a program, a book, an app, a podcast, anything. Well, I have to say Recovery Roadrunners. Um, quit like a runner. You can go to the website and find all sorts of freebies that you can download to start your new health and fitness journey. Awesome. Uh, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Stop trying to fit in and be your authentic self. People are going to love you, the real you. That's beautiful. And last, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite, you might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if your favorite form of cardio is running to the liquor store. hey <laughs> could be a sign Amber thank you so much for your time thank you for your story and thank you for what you're doing for the the recovery space and, and the recovery community I appreciate it we need more people like you out there and, and you're doing you're doing great work thank you so much Chris for letting me share my story if I help just one person today I find that a success with certainty you will I appreciate you thank you so much recovery elevator thanks for listening and thank you, Amber, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. There have been some changes in my professional life lately. And with, with those changes come some uncertainty, anxiety, and worrying. It's easy for me to take that leap from reasonable planning and preparing to trying to figure out how to control everything. We talk a lot about community here. And this is a great example of where my connections help bring me down to earth. The people that are close to me have listened to me talk about my fear about the uncertainty, but then, with love, put that ownership of my situation back on me. Even with a decent chunk of sobriety under my belt, I can still go to that same headspace from time to time. Today, though, I can arrest those thoughts before they get out of control. 
What I'm going through today isn't catastrophic. It's just changes, and that's part of life. I've been reminded to stick to my foundational tools in recovery. That's it. That's all I have to do. Surrender to the fact that I don't have control over everything. Do the next right thing with the things I do have control over. And check myself daily with a little inventory. I can see if I've made any missteps. And also celebrate my wins, too. It's simple. Not necessarily easy, but it's simple. As long as I can do this, I know I'll be okay. Thank you for always being here, RE. We're the only ones that can do this, but we don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.